WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Well, I played the complete edit there of the Spooky South Coast theme song because I, I lost my paperwork. Man, I'm always prepared. I, I wasn't prepared to go on time tonight. I didn't think that we were going to be even remotely close to on time, but thank you, John Lester, because uh, we get to have almost a full program tonight here on Spooky South Coast. I'm Tim Weisberg. The silent assassin, Matt Costa, is to my right. Science advisor, Matt Moniz, is to my left. You would know that if you were watching the video feed from the Spooky Studio on justin.tv slash Spooky South Coast. Uh, you can also get that right on the front page of our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, which we have some guests in the studio, and they just informed me that if you go to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, and you click on the link, you don't get access to the chat room. So if you want to be able to get into the chat and take part in the discussion there, I know our friend Craig is in there. You can go to justin.tv slash spooky south coast. And, uh, no, Justin, the website is not named after you. <laughs> I'm, I'm still waiting for that email, Matt, for him to email us from Tennessee and say, yeah. you know, you named the website after me. I know. I'm surprised he hasn't. But we didn't. It's just the service that we utilize. We got a big show planned for you tonight. I'm glad we have almost a complete show because joining us will be Steve Bassett of the Paradigm Research Group. You may remember, uh, a while back we talked to him. I think it was in late October, early November, right before the election, about the million facts on Washington. The plan being that they were going to bombard the president-elect with letters uh, asking for UFO disclosure once that person took office. And then phase two came around in January when President Obama took the oath of office and entered the White House, where all the letters were sent to the White House asking for, for disclosure of these documents and during the first 100 days of uh, Obama's term, that was phase two. Now we're entering phase three of the million facts on Washington. Steve's going to join us in just a little bit to talk with us about what that entails, what you can do to help bring about UFO disclosure and, and get President Obama to listen. And instead of sending letters to the White House, uh, now obviously, you know, if you're sending you know, a million letters to the White House, they're going to sit up and pay attention. But in phase three, we're going to be sending uh, correspondence to somebody that's definitely going to sit up and listen, people who can actually make this into a much bigger story. And we'll get into that with Steve in just a little bit. Also, a little bit later on in the program, I'm really excited about this. Uh, during the Week and Weird, Week and Weird segment at the top of the second hour, we're going to talk to a real-life superhero. A real-life superhero from right here in New Bedford. Well, technically we're in Fairhaven, but you know what I mean. We're, we're going to talk to somebody who actually protects the streets of the Secret City. What do you think about that, Matt Costa? I don't know. 
I, I know Matt. Of... I'd ask Matt Moniz about this, but I, I get a feeling that he's actually a vigilante himself. I get a feeling that he's going around fighting crime as a paranormal man. I'll never tell. All right. Because, you know, uh, well, either that. I, I was over at his house one night, and I asked him if I could use the bathroom. And when I went in there, hanging from the uh, shower curtain rack was uh, 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 some sort of costume, some sort of, you know, tight spandex, one-piece outfit in, like, hot pink and pastel colors. <laughs> so I hope he's a superhero. <laughs> That'd be the easiest explanation for things. No, we are going to talk with uh, Civitron, who is a real-life superhero. We're going to talk with him about a story that's making national and international news, uh, and, and and he is quoted in that story, so we'll talk to him about that. Coming up during the week in Weird, but before that, again, UFO disclosure. And we want to find out what you think. While we're talking with Steve, we want to know if you think that these documents need uh, to be released, if you think that they should be, that they shouldn't be, is it a matter of national security? How much do we need to know? How much do we want to know? We'll get into all that with Steve, and we'll take your calls as well. The numbers are 508 996 for Wareham and Cape Cod. And you can email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, the Silent Assassin is in the chat room on Justin.tv, so if you'd like to get in there and ask questions that way, you can do that as well. And don't forget, all week long, if you want updates on what's going on with the show, check out our Twitter feed, uh, twitter.com slash spookysc. Uh, sign up there, follow us, and we'll put updates up there during the week. We're going to, we're going to be, uh, incorporating a lot more stuff with Twitter coming up. Some, uh, you know, daily facts and things like that. It's just right now, it's, uh, every time we try to go on there and do something, it seems like Twitter's crashed because, uh, well, mainly we we can blame Conan O'Brien for it this week because uh, he he's mentioned Twitter every night of the new Tonight Show, and he's talked about different stuff that's going on there. So it's kind of held back Twitter. They've kind of crashed quite a few times. But and also, of course, uh, that other paranormal radio show, um, the one that's on like every other station, but this one, they started Twittering too, coast to coast. So that's uh, that's going to crash it too. <laughs> I was the 500 Spooky South Coast was the 501st person to sign up for a coast to coast Twitter feed. Nice. Yeah, so man, we've got that going for us. <laughs> All right, why don't we take a break? When we come back, we will talk to Steve Bassett of the Paradigm Research Group about UFO disclosure, about Phase Three of the Million Facts on Washington, and what you can do to get involved and help us find out what the government knows about UFOs. Is that possible, Monies? Will they ever know it? I doubt it. Well, let's at least try to get close. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz, and the ghost of Kenner Carpenter. We're all here together to talk about the paranormal, as we do each and every Saturday night here on WBSM and worldwide on SpookySouthCoast.com. And, you know, usually uh, we 
run into some sort of technical difficulty. And uh, I'd like to thank uh, one of our loyal listeners for asking if we were undergoing any tonight. But no, we had to wait for the Red Sox. Uh, a lot of times when you're listening to the show on the Internet, you might not realize because the WBSM streaming feed uh, does not play baseball games because it's, uh, it's against Major League Baseball broadcast rules. So they just have an endless loop of commercials or, or promos that they're putting onto that. So if you tune into the feed, you might keep hearing that again and again. That means that the baseball game is still going, that the Red Sox coverage is still going. Um, so you just have to be patient, wait for that to be over before we can come on. Uh, and then if you go to justin.tv, again, you'll be able to see us in the studio and you'll know what's going on. So you'll know that we're here anyway and that there will be a show happening. I love this plan. This is going really well. It's a good plan. Yeah. Hmm. Remember last summer when, uh, you know, we, we, we the games would be over, we'd jump right on, yeah. but people didn't know that we were going to be on. Now at least we have the Twitter. We can actually update the website more frequently. Yeah. You know, Keep the people informed. Blackberry so we can actually send emails out from the studio, whereas before we couldn't. You know, it, we're getting slowly more evolved technologically. I mean, we're evolved. We uh, we know what we're doing. It's just getting the, the it capabilities It took us a while here. to afford this. All this stuff. <laughs> I know all that money we're making now <laughs> from uh, being able to do the show. It's not that it's not that we had to wait till we had the money to afford these things. We had to wait for these things to become rock bottom prices for us to get our hands on yeah. them. And uh, speaking of which, I saw you looking up some equipment online there during the commercial. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, I like to look at stuff I can't afford. Yeah, that's that's pretty much how it breaks down. I mean, ideally, we'd love to be able to, to bring you this show. You know, people ask for this show, believe it or not, five nights a week. I get emails that say, we'd like to hear you guys every night of the week. And, you know, well, that would be great unless we're getting paid for it. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. And uh, unless we can, you know, build our own radio station somewhere closer to home. But uh, mm. we do thank you for supporting us each week. Uh, if at any time you have any questions about the paranormal, you have any experiences you want to share, you don't have to wait for us to come on the air at 10 o'clock on Saturday nights. You can email us all week long, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. That email will get to all three of us. Uh, if you want to reach just me, it's tim at spookysouthcoast.com. If you want to get the silent assassin, you have some sort of technical question, or you want to talk to the resident skeptic of the show, it's matt at spookysouthcoast.com. And if you need to get a hold of Moniz, it's scienceadvisor at spookysouthcoast.com. And that, you know, we try to be as accessible as possible. I mean, I, there's times when I'll get an email and I'll respond within five seconds. Uh, there's other times when I'll get an email and it might take me a day or two. But we read them all, and uh, we, we try to do our best to answer every one of them. Sometimes we just can't answer them, though, without uh, incriminating anybody else. That's nice. Order that, Matt. Whatever it is. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> it says gentler on it. <laughs> I want it. Um, but we are waiting to speak with Steve Bassett of the Paradigm Research Group about Phase 3 of the Million Facts on Washington. Uh, Matt, before we get into it, Matt Moniz, with Steve Bass, let me ask your opinions on this, and I know we've talked about it in the past. Uh, have you seen – let me preface this with – Okay. I don't want to get into a political debate with you <laughs> about President Barack Obama's administration because I know your feelings on that. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'm at least willing to wait six months before I make a decision about a president, but it's almost been six months. But what are your thoughts, based on what you've seen so far from his administration, based on his policies, about whether or not he's the quote-unquote disclosure president? Uh, personally, I, I, like I said to you before, I don't think the decision is his to make or any other 
president to come or obviously any of the presidents in the past. Disclosure is going to happen, in at least in my opinion, when, quote-unquote, they decide they want the information passed They on. being... Whoever they are that's that's about to be disclosed. Well, if you if you had to speculate as to who was actually controlling this information, you know what would be your hypo. I mean, maybe you know more than more than you can say on the air. But um, I mean, if you had to pick certain clandestine organizations or governmental bodies, who would you think is is the holders of this information? Well, <clears throat> I believe a lot of it is car. Compartmentalized. Yes. And each uh, group has its own uh, related material. Like NASA would have certain material related to propulsion systems and, you know, structural craft, whereas the CIA would have more information about who these things are and where they're from and what they want and and so on and so forth. So it's not like... uh you know, on the X-Files where the, the cigarette-smoking man and all of his friends, they have all the answers, but they only farm out little pieces of it to who needs to know what when. Yeah, well, there's a lot of uh, fingers in that in this pie. I, I'm sure there has to be. How much could uh, Obama or, or somebody within his administration release to the public and be able to come out and say, okay, that's it, that's all we have? I mean, could they come out and give you a complete report on Roswell, uh, a complete report on Area 51, and, you know, maybe uh, a couple other things that they might have kicking around and say, hey, that's it, that's all we have, and people will buy that? I mean, at what point are we going to just accept, you know, this is the end of it? No matter what you put out, other people are always going to claim you're holding something back. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) think about it. They've done it with... Plenty of other things, like the JFK. Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> how, ma- how many new things keep coming to light every year? Uh, I mean, it, 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 it's crazy. It, uh, sooner or later, though, I mean, they're going to have to make some sort of acknowledgement that something, I mean, I'm not saying uh, regarding something that's already happened, but sooner or later there'll be an incident that will happen, and we'll have to say, hey, you know, we don't know anything about this. This is, you know, we're as in the dark about it as you are. You know, I'm talking about the uh, the administration or or somebody within the government saying, okay, you know, a giant UFO comes and lands in New York, you know, game over. Some something <laughs> happens, something goes on, and flies away, and the White House or whoever can come out and say, okay, it happened. We'll acknowledge that it happened, but we don't know any more than you do. Do they have plausible deniability if something like that happens? Well, yeah, uh, and that's done deliberately. Like I said, certain factions of, you know, parts in NASA have access to material, uh, allegedly, as do people from all of these other agencies. But they're, they have it and they are basically just the holders of it. They're not at liberty to share it with other people, like various other administrations. This was set forth Years ago, when they when this stuff was first compartmentalized, is it kind of are we seeing kind of a snowball effect though, where because administrations and government bodies have operated in such secrecy that had they just been forthcoming, you know, back in the forties and came out and said, okay, yeah, this happened, we don't know what's going on, we're going to look into it, we'll let you know what we find. Had they come out and, and been forthcoming with all that back then? 
could they have avoided all this secrecy of now? Because now the problem is, if you did disclose everything that's in the UFO, you know, case files, and you said this is everything we have, then you're admitting to having hidden that information for all these years, and then people are going to cry. Well, what else have you been hiding? Right. Well, everybody knows that they've been hiding stuff for years, and that's more than just stuff on UFOs. I mean, we still have reports coming out today of what they did with nuclear testing and mm -hmm. radioactive materials. Um, what most people, I mean, this is public knowledge. They deliberately went out and infected people with radioactive materials in, in the population, general population, civilians, to see what the reaction was going to be, as well as various chemical and biological effects, you know, from, you know, German chemical warfare testing. They did it on unwitting populations of United States citizens. And some people say they're still doing things to that effect today. They very well may be. Now, I mean, I don't want full disclosure for every activity that the government has ever engaged in. You know, I don't want to know about who you sent in to try to kill Castro. I don't want to know about what, you know, regimes you've taken out. I don't need to know all that. We don't need to know all of that, uh, mainly because in some ways it endangers us to know. And, or it endangers those who are involved to have us know. So all that information doesn't need to come to light, at least as far as I'm concerned. The UFO situation, I'm not even sure I want to see every piece of documented information that the, the government has on this. I just want them to come out and say, yes, it's happening. Yes, we know who. Yes, we know why. We're handling it. If they said that, I'd be happy with that. That would be enough for me, at least in the early stages, because it would acknowledge that it is happening, that all these people who have spent their lives either affected by this, traumatized by this, researching this, interested in this, even reading the occasional Time Life book about it. You know, they weren't wasting their time. They weren't crazy. They weren't, you know, uh, disjointed with reality. It'll give a lot of people validation for what happened to them or what they researched. That alone, to me, is important. But then also it will admit that, yes, there is something greater than that. And that's going to be enough to make people wake up and realize, oh, all, all this crap that we're doing here on this planet, all this argument, all, all this arguing that we're doing amongst ourselves, it really doesn't matter. Because if somebody can fly here, then whether or not we control the oil doesn't matter. Whether or not, you know, we can put democracies across the Middle East doesn't matter. Because these people have the technology to whoop our ass if we step out of line. So no matter how much power we have as a country, there's still going to be somebody that's going to be way more powerful than us. And I think that would actually be a better way for America to live. Sorry. Well, let me get off my soapbox. <laughs> not, not a problem. Not a problem, Tim. But you're right. It, it, would, it would take us from the focus of our own fractionalization of humanity into a unifying, you know, cohesive bonding experience for, for humanity to become one finally as a species, which is what we are people. We are, and you know, it's, it's almost like, okay, fine. You know, we, we want to hope that these beings are benevolent in their purpose. We want to hope that they're here to either observe or to help, you know, that they're not here to do us harm. But even if they are, even if they are negative toward us, even if they do have malevolence in what they do, that's going to make us bond together as, as a mankind even more, I would think. Well, yeah, anytime we're faced with any sort of threat, we've always banded together, whether it be natural or man-made. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the nature of our, you know, our being. It's, I mean, yeah, that's because of our selfishness. In the main sense, it's self-survival. I, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, 
be controversial here when I say this, and I'm not trying to upset anybody or or make light of what happened. But if you take you know 9/11 with what happened then, and look at how everybody banded together, look at how much. I mean, just we were different for a while after that happened. We were more. We were America. We were the United States. Everybody was it, in it together for a while. But it also had its other detriments too, because look at the prejudices it also you know fostered. Sure. I mean, and that that could very well be the case with you know when these beings do come to Earth and we are aware of it. Um, but I do think that there would be that banding together. I, I hate to use you know a pop culture reference as something that would be how mankind would handle things, but I think Gene Roddenberry and Star Trek gave us the perfect blueprint of how to deal with this. When you look at the the story of what happened with them when they first made contact with or the Vulcans was the first. Uh, people that they made contact with from another planet and the way that you know within a few years of that there was no more money in the world once they got rid of money it made things a whole lot easier for everybody to get along and then from there they were able to build a federation of planets out of it and i think that uh you know that kind of is the blueprint we could follow that this would indicate to us that there are bigger things there are more important things and we could just evolve okay suppose we're not visited by the Vulcans. We're visited by Ferengi. Oh, okay. E- but either way, I mean, I'm, I'm, it still would be that earth-shattering event where, uh, you know, the Ferengi in the gorilla suit, by the way. It still would be that uh, <laughs> that earth-shattering event that would make us all band together. Uh, we would realize, okay, all of a sudden, you know, making money isn't really necessarily the most important thing anymore. No. But I don't know. We are we are kind of a bit on a soapbox, but that's fine. That's what we're here to do. If you'd like to chime in with your thoughts, your beliefs, what would happen if if all of a sudden we were visited, or if we did find out what documents the government has? You can give us a call five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred five zero eight two nine one zero five hundred. Email us spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com, and all that information is available right on spookysouthcoast.com as well. Matt, you want to take another break? All right, why don't we do that? We'll try and get Steve on the phone again, uh, but if not, maybe we'll go into the week and weird a little bit early. We'll figure it out. We, we love to fly by the seat of our pants on this show, even when we actually plan the show ahead of time. <laughs> we end up flying by the seat of our pants. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. called thriller back in the 80s from dc yeah i only know about it because uh they used to make frequent mention of it in ambush bug <laughs> <laughs> oh man i i've been trying to get keith geffen i found an actual email address for him and i tried getting a hold of him i would love to do an entire show dedicated to ambush bug i want to find out why he hasn't teamed up with batman on that new brave and the bold cartoon show but anyway that's 
neither here nor there. We had mentioned at the beginning of the show uh, that we were going to talk to a real-life superhero, and we will. Uh, this story came across the, the news wire here. It's actually from CNN.com, and I'm going to read the story here to kind of set things up. Mr. Ravenblade, Mr. Extreme, Dark Guardian, and hundreds of others, some with elaborate costumes, others with haphazardly stitched outfits, they are appearing on city streets worldwide, watching over the populace like Superman watched over Metropolis and Batman watched over Gotham City. As people became disillusioned from financial woes and a downtrodden economy and looked to put new purpose in their lives, everyday folks are taking on new personas to perform community service, help the homeless, and even fight crime. The movement is growing, said Ben Goldman, a real-life superhero historian. Uh, Goldman, along with Chaim Life Lazaros and David Civitron Civitaris, run the New York-based website Superheroes Anonymous as part of an initiative dedicated to organizing and making alliances with superhero groups. According to Goldman, who goes by the moniker Cameraman because of his prowess in documenting the movement, economic troubles are spawning real-life superheroes. Uh, he said, a lot of them have gone through a sort of existential crisis and have had to discover who they are, which, you know, every hero goes through that. People are starting to put value in what they can do rather than what they have, he said. They realize that money is fleeting, that it's in fact imaginary. Estimates from the few groups that keep tabs put the worldwide total of real-life superheroes between 250 and 300. Goldman said the numbers were around just 200 only last summer. Mr. Ravenblade laid off after a stint with a huge computer company, uh, a huge computer technology corporation found inspiration for his new avocation a few years ago from an early morning incident in Walla Walla, Washington. I literally stepped into a woman's attempted rape slash mugging, Mr. Ravenblade said. While details were lost in the fog of the fight, he remembers this much. I did what I could, he said, adding that he stopped the crime and broke no laws. And I realized after doing what I did, he said that people don't really look after people. Public response to real-life superheroes has been mixed, according to Mr. Extreme, who founded the Extreme Justice League in San Diego, California. The current superhero movement started a few years ago on MySpace, as people interested in comics and cool cape crusaders joined forces, Goldman said. It goes beyond the Guardian Angel Citizen patrols of the early 1980s, as the real-life superheroes of today apply themselves to broadly defined ethos of simply doing good works. Chris Pollock, 24, of Brooklyn, New York, can attest to the appeal. A lot more people are either following it or wanting to go out and do it, he said. He goes by the name Dark Guardian. By do it, he means patrol the harrowing streets late at night. Mr. Ravenblade said that a lot of kids say they're real-life superheroes on MySpace, but what are you doing? Being in front of the computer is not helping anybody. Without superpowers, real-life superheroes confess to a mere mortal workload, including helping the homeless, handing out flyers in high-crime areas, and patrolling areas known for drug dealing. Mr. Ravenblade said he and some of his super friends would soon be organizing a Walk for Babies fundraiser in Portland, Oregon. Uh, homeless outreach, that's another thing that they do. Uh, they raise money at Christmas time for different groups, uh, different children's hospitals. Many real-life superheroes even initiate citizens' arrests, but what's legal varies by state. And in North Carolina, citizens' arrests are illegal. Real-life superheroes who grab a suspected villain may find themselves under a specter of trouble. Not a good idea, said Katie Parker, legal director for the ACLU of North Carolina. Seeing as how there's no citizen's arrest statue in the state, people who do this are running a serious risk of getting arrested for kidnapping and being liable for false imprisonment. Vigilantism is never a good thing, said Bernard Gonzalez, public information officer for the Chula Vista, California Police Department. He's had some interactions with real-life superheroes. The very best thing that a private citizen can do is be a good witness. And Mr. Raven Blade said that he's just that. If you're a real-life superhero, you follow the law. If you catch somebody, you can't just tie them up and leave them for the cops. That's for the comics. You have to wait for the cops and give a statement. 
So there you go. That is the story from CNN.com. And on the line right now, we actually have one of those real-life superheroes from right here in the secret city of New Bedford. Civitron is on the line. Hello, Civitron. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. How are you, sir? Hello. Great to have you here. We are we are actually excited about because I never knew that this existed, and I'm a big superhero guy. I mean, I've I've followed superheroes my entire life. I did not realize that they are actually real life superheroes out there. Oh yes, yeah, we've been trolling the streets for many years. Um, I'm from New Bedford. I've grown up here, and uh, my patrol is my uh, my own team, the Secret Society of Superheroes. And how many heroes are there in that team? Uh, and the team's probably about. Between, between five and seven on a rotating basis. Um, there's uh, the Green Sage, uh, Aquanut, Kismet, uh, our Oracle, and uh, hopefully we have a couple of new recruits uh, waiting in the wings. And what exactly do you do as superheroes in the city of New Bedford? I mean, are you out there trying to combat crime? Um, actually, no. That's probably uh, something something that we stay away from. While we do maintain a watchful eye uh, while we're out on patrols, um, you know, for public safety and just trying to be good citizens, um, watching our neighbors back, uh, we don't go out looking for, for danger. We don't go out looking for crime. Uh, sure. We stick to the, as I said, watching out, um, picking up litter where we find it, uh, bringing food, water to the homeless where we can. And we also uh, participate in a couple of um, local fundraising events. Um, we just did uh, Operation Clean Sweep, where about 10 of us, uh, 10, well, superheroes and supporters, our friends, uh, went out with Superheroes Anonymous T-shirts and uh, helped out Operation Clean Sweep. And every year we participate in Boston's Project Bread, uh, Walk for Hunger. And um, we just try to do our part, try to be active citizens. I mean, the, the crime problem in New Bedford, I, I don't think the police alone can handle it. So uh, I, I can imagine if an entire police force has trouble with it, you know, a, a few superheroes banded together that don't actually have superpowers would, would run into a lot of trouble. So you're smart to stay away from that. But in doing all this work with the community, uh, you're out there in costume and, and in these personas of these superheroes? Most of the time, yes. Um, unless it's at a time when we feel that doing so would take away um, from the event. Mm-hmm. Uh, such as Operation Sweep. It's not an org- it's not a, an event that we coordinate, and so we just wear our T-shirt, you know, uh, out there as a show of force for our team, um, but not trying to be too loud, I guess, for the occasion, and uh, and take and draw away um, attention from what we're actually there to do. Well, you do have to walk a fine line with that because uh, to some people, I'm sure the, the sight of a, of a costume hero can be inspiring that somebody's out there doing good and that somebody actually cares enough to, to don cape and cowl and go out there and, and serve the greater good. To other people, it might be ridiculous. So it could be one of those situations where you know you could be distracting from the event. Uh, I've always thought, and, and you can let me know if you know this is what your uh, philosophy is too, but... Uh, you know, we hear the story about having a secret identity to, to protect the individual who is the hero, and that's why they have these secret identities that they they hide under. But to me, it always seemed like you don't want to put a face on what these deeds are because they go beyond just who a, who a person is. Oh, absolutely. Um, with um, whereas whereas 
we're sort of um, whereas uh, Chaim and Ben and um, and I are are maintaining the website for Superheroes Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, we we've come out and we've revealed our identities um, to the public. Not having a secret identity, um, we we do recognize that it is important. I think for people to to maintain a protected identity, mm-hmm. um, especially uh, you know going out going out and doing these good deeds. Right, like you said, like not putting a face on the deeds, but just just putting the deeds out there, yeah, understanding that it is about the work and not about the person doing the work. Just sort of making it so. You know, putting up a message that say anybody can go out and do this. Exactly. I mean, you're, it's the deed that's important and not getting the recognition for doing so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but, I mean, that being said, too, it would probably also be cool to see your face on a lunchbox or, or have a <laughs> Civitron action figure come out, too. It would definitely be cool. Um, I, uh, I, I, I've got a, a hungry ego, I'll admit. Um, and sometimes it is, it is hard, um, especially whereas I, I don't, I don't, I don't maintain a secret identity. Um, a lot of people are able to contact me, and um, and uh, I just have to constantly make sure I'm I'm checking myself, make sure I don't get too big for my britches. You, you don't want to turn into like a you know Plastic Man or Booster Gold or one of those guys. Why am I quoting <laughs> DC so much tonight? I'm not even a huge DC guy. But- what what was it that made you actually get involved with this? Uh, how did how did you decide to you know start putting on a, a costume and going out there and representing yourself as Civitron? Oh well, it's it's certainly always been a childhood fantasy. Um, growing up, I've, I've been a big fan of superheroes and and, uh, and fantasy and, and, and comic books. Um, I've always been trying to to come up with to come up with an alter ego to come up with. Uh, an identity that I could go out and, uh, and, and, and do whatever, do whatever good I can, um, my whole life. And, you know, as, as a childhood fantasy, eventually you outgrow it and you move on to other things. And, um, and, and that's, and that's what happened. But one day I stumbled across some drawings of small, uh, small drawings of, of, of costumes that I, that I was working on when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And, I thought, hey, you know, if, if I wanted to do that then, you know, and 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 I put it away, maybe there are some people who ne- who didn't put it away. Maybe there are some people who actually went out and did that. And so I I got on the internet and I googled real superheroes, and I found this whole community of people who have been active for for years, and and I was inspired, and I was uh, wow, I'm late to the game. Um, so I. I used a nickname that I had in high school, um, Civitron. It's a play off my last name, and um, and and I thought, what a what a perfect superhero name. And uh, I put on the put on. I, I made myself a costume and went out and uh, and saw found found out where where I could help. And um, you know, every day I'm inspired by uh, by my son, by my family. Uh, they're always very encouraging, always looking for ways that I can go out. And and hopefully do some good and and hopefully inspire some other people to do some good. Okay. And um, we've 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 definitely grown quite a family based operation, I guess. So there you go, the origin story of Civitron, <laughs> right here on Spooky South Coast. Well, uh, I mean, we thank you for for stepping out and at least you know putting 
a recognizable character on Good Deeds, and and to to have people know that you know there can be something positive about this city. I'm going to do my part to make sure that we spread the word and and let people know that you're out there doing this because. I, to, to me, you know, I agree with the Smallville, the, the Smallville theory. Uh, I don't know if you watched the program, but you know, where just knowing that Superman is out there is enough to inspire people to want to do good. And I think knowing that there's heroes out there that are actually stepping out there and, and putting themselves uh, out there as representatives of the good of mankind will make people want to live up to that. So, thank you for that. And we want to bring you in here to the studio. Have you sit down. We'll do an entire show. You can bring some of your team, and, and we'll do an, a complete show about this, and we'll talk to some people and, and maybe inspire some others to, to put on a costume or to at least step up and, and be a hero in somebody's life. Well, thank you very much. I look forward to that. All right. Thank you. And do you want to give out uh, the websites? Uh, uh, actually, yes. If, um, if, uh, if you'd like more information on real-life superheroes uh, across the world, uh, you can go to superheroesanonymous.com, mm-hmm. and there are some links there. But if you want, um, if you if you want access to the local team, uh, go to secretcity.org. And right now, it's a very bare bones website. I am working on it and getting more content up there. But um, there's a con- there's a there's an email address, and I've already gotten a few a few email from people who are interested in joining up, and so that's really exciting. And with uh, with the community that we have here on Spooky South Coast, with the the friends and the the family that we've built here with this radio show, uh, we know that you're going to get a lot of support for the Secret Society of Superheroes. And we've even got a, a couple of comic book artists who are are fans of the show. So who knows? Maybe there'll be a Civitron comic book coming up real soon. That would be incredible. <laughs> All right, thank you very much, sir, for joining us. And uh, I don't know how you say goodbye to a superhero. Um, let's see. Chaim says to light and to power. Um, I've just been saying stay strong. There you go. We always say stay spectacular, so we'll end it that way. Awesome. Thank you, sir. I'll talk to you real soon. All right. Have a great night. Thank you, you for having me on the show. Bye-bye. That is Civitron. Uh, David Civitrice. Hopefully I'm saying this right. David uh, Civitrice uh, protecting the city of New Bedford with his team, the Secret Society Superheroes, and we'll talk to them coming up real soon on an upcoming edition of Spooky South Coast. So we're going to take a break for the news. When we come back on the other side, hopefully we'll be able to get our guest Steve Bassett on the line to talk about UFO disclosure. Also, your calls, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Do you know what that music means? Ooh, we're stuck in an elevator? No! It's wrong! Spooky South Coast is burned. I can't swallow your fears. I'm not afraid. You will be. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz. We are on the air live here on WBSM and streaming on SpookySouthCoast.com. 
You can also catch the video feed on Spooky TV slash Spooky South Coast. And uh, we are basically having a ball tonight here because we're talking to, uh, we talked with Civitron, the first time we've ever talked with a real-life superhero, which uh, I was honored to do. And, you know, I was telling Moniz during the break, you know, that's something where if you're Civitron, this is a, you get a chance to do a radio interview, you've got to be a little nervous because the wrong show would probably try to poke fun at somebody for doing something like this. But here, we think that it's actually something admirable to do. And sure, you know, depending on the costume, it could be silly, but the fact that you're getting out there, that you're standing for, you're championing good. I mean, how can anybody come down on that? Yeah, the intentions are good. What do you think, Matt? I know you were saying that, you know, it's something that you'd actually consider doing yourself. Yeah, if I liked helping people. (laughs) We know how that goes. You you are kind of a a jerk like that. I almost said a bad word that I shouldn't say on the radio. Maybe I could be a a villain. Oh, that's true. They probably need a a villain. You'd make a good nemesis, Matt. In in today's, uh, and you can keep your same name, the Silent Assassin. In in today's society, though, you know everybody, you know, like I personally can't wait for the the PS3 game to come out uh, about uh, the DC universe, where you get to be a hero or be a villain and everything. Uh, everybody wants to get out there and actually do that and, and play games and, and live that lifestyle. Here's a chance to actually get out, do it in real life, and make a difference. Well, before we go any further, I just want to remind everybody uh, that coming up June 12th and June 26th. These are both Friday nights. Uh, there will be those guided tours of the Freetown State Forest. Uh, the tour leader will be Andrew Lake of Greenville Paranormal Society. There will be three trips to choose from, a 7 p.m., a 9.30 p.m., and a 12 midnight cost is $35, uh, a donation to help benefit musical instruments for, for school children. And if you'd like to find out more, uh, email us, SpookyCrew, at SpookySouthCoast.com. We'll get you all the information. We'll hook you up with the people putting together that tour. Uh, also... We're going to be working on our own event in the coming weeks, uh, the Fearing Tavern. We got approval from the Wareham Historical Society. We'll be putting something together where for $35 a person, and it's going to be limited to 15 people, you'll get a chance to investigate the Fearing Tavern and the area around it uh, in Wareham. That will include a, a, pa- a class on the paranormal as well that will be taught by us, and we'll lead you through the, the tavern, the area around the Tremont Nail Factory, and the old meeting house. Uh, you'll get to find out, you know, what exactly is there. We've been having some experiences there. Matt Moniz and I were there the other night investigating it. And it's just, even if nothing paranormal happens, it's just a cool place to be able to get into and investigate. It is. It really is a neat place. And and we had Jeff Belanger with us and, and Andy Lake and uh, Mike Brody, the paranormal comedian. We And we had some other re- researchers and investigators and people from the Historical Society. And everybody feels the same even way about the owner it. of Lizzie Borden showed up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> from one haunted house to another. But uh, everybody just feels it's just, just a cool place. The history of it comes alive while you're there, and it's it's a great opportunity to go out on a paranormal investigation if you've never done so before. So tickets will be $35. We haven't nailed down the exact date yet, but uh, if you want to reserve one of those 15 spots while you still can, email me, tim at com, and we'll make sure that we get you on the list. So... Definitely look forward to that. Matt, I know you're looking forward to staying up a little bit late that night. Oh, yeah. It's going to be from like 6.30 at night to 12.30 at night, so it's not going to be too taxing on anybody. All right, well, we have the phone lines ringing, so I'm going to hope that that's our guest for tonight, Steve Bassett. 
a leading advocate for ending the 62-year government-imposed truth embargo regarding an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race. He is a political activist, lobbyist, commentator, and columnist. He is the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group and the Extraterrestrial Phenomena Political Action Committee, the creator of the Paradigm Clock, and the executive producer of the X-Conference. And his work has been extensively covered by the media, including here on Spooky South Coast. We've been talking to him for the last few months about the million facts on Washington. And Steve joins us tonight. How are you tonight, Steve? I'm just fine. How are you guys? Oh, we're spooktacular. We apologize for the confusion. We actually got to come on at our regular time tonight. The Red Sox got over early, and we got a full show. Oh, that's cool. Well, I hope it's not. I hope it hasn't been too late getting to you here. Not at all. Now we've got all the other stuff out of the way, so we've got the whole hour to speak with you. Wonderful. Now we talked uh, back in late October about the phase one of the million facts, where mm-hmm. you wanted everybody to contact whoever the the president-elect would be uh, during their time of transition, and then phase two was getting a hold of uh, the presidential administration during the first hundred days. Now you've moved into phase three, and w- what does that entail? Uh, well, to make a long story short, we really we have the best window of opportunity since 1947 to finally bring this issue to a head and and get uh, what we know we have to have, which is a formal acknowledgement of the government that this phenomenon is real and it's extraterrestrial. Well, whether it's dimensional or another planet, future path, I don't care. It's it, they're not they're not from New Jersey. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a long time coming. Uh, it's not an easy uh, political maneuver, but the fact is the window has opened, and there are many reasons for this. Far, far more. Uh, it would take a lot longer than an hour to, just, to get into all that. But what your listeners need to know is the window has opened, and we anticipated this. And so, in 2008, we worked very hard to get the UFO ET issue into the political campaign of 2008, which. Pretty everyone sort of knew it was going to be likely one of the longest, most expensive, most involved political campaigns in American history, which it was. Mm-hmm. I don't know, there were 40 debates, I think, 40 forums, uh, and all the news covers, and, of course, we got the cable news now. So the point is we successfully got that issue, the ET issue, into play uh, with articles and uh, interviews on uh, radio and what have you, including, including some questions that were asked of the candidate. All right, all good. Then the second thing, we needed to to try to build up the disclosure movement network, expand it, grow it, uh, not only in the United States but outside the United States, and that happened too, which then set the stage for uh, the million facts, which the intent of which was, was literally to trigger disclosure itself. Um, and how could that happen, you might say? Uh, it's been 62 years. How would that work? Okay, here's here's how the, the game is to be played. First, uh, get as many people as possible to s- send the letters and faxes to the and emails to the president in that 77 transition days to the inauguration, mm-hmm. uh, saying we want disclosure. We want uh, we want you to be briefed. We want congressional hearings. We want the technology that that's uh, probably very much likely in development, but hidden and not available to the public. We want it out. And those, uh, in fact, were sent in, uh, in great numbers. How many, we don't know, because the White House has yet to acknowledge this. Then, phase two, all right, fine. Now the president's in the White House. It's January 21st. For the next 100, we extended it to 131 days. Let's start sending those letters, faxes, and emails right to the White House. Uh, again, calling for disclosure, calling for congressional hearings, calling for the president to be fully briefed, etc. 
And, of course, that took place. All right. Uh, and then, at the same time, I uh, went on quite a bit of uh, media, including press releases and, a, and, uh, and, of course, a press conference at the National Press Club. And we sent a message to the administration because, let's face it, I mean, unless you're on their their list, you, you, you the only way you're going to be able to really get a message to them is through the media, which is done all the time. Mm-hmm. The message was, look, you, you, you need to disclose the ET presence right away. You need to do it in the earliest days of your administration for three very important reasons. One, if you don't do this in, in, in due course, this truth embargo, which is 62 years old, is going to become your embargo, and it's going to have your name on it. And that is going to now you're going to have a problem, like every previous president has had, and and in this case in particular, uh, uh, getting uh, labeled with um, uh, or, or, or having the truth embargo become uh, your own is going to completely undermine the whole open, transparent government reformist pillar that you've been trying to build, you know, under your administration. It's going to blow it away. Secondly. Um, we need that technology. We need access to it immediately. Uh, it's going to need time to develop. We need to put all the human intellectual resource on it so that we can see how we can adapt it to the huge problems that we are clearly facing. I mean, we, we can't turn on the TV uh, on any given day and not, not see something about some enormous problem we're facing. We need that tech. We need it now. And the third reason was that the signs seem to be quite clear that if the United States government doesn't disclose the ET presence, another nation's going to do it. So that was the message, and the message was, if you don't get it done by the end of May, we're going to turn up the heat. Okay, didn't happen. June 1st, we turned up the heat. Now you may say, well, what do you mean? Turn up the heat, how do you do that? Well, it's actually simple. The fact of the matter is, is that the truth embargo could have ended at any time in the last 18, 25, maybe even 30 years. If just a handful of, of reporters were pressed at the top-tiered level, now not, not down at the local level, a reporter working from some local TV station. I'm talking about up at the top, right, up at the New York Times level, at the network level, what have you. Just a handful of reporters had decided that they were going to ask appropriate questions about this issue and demand appropriate answers. That's all it would have taken because the answers to those questions would have, would have been uh, – inciting. They would have incited more questions uh, leading to a virtually a media explosion. And the only reason the embargo, well, I mean, one of the reasons the embargo continued was that the reporters didn't ask them. They just didn't ask those questions, period. If you don't ask them, you don't have to worry. In other words, just don't ask, don't tell. Mm-hmm. And the embargo goes on. And so uh, the game plan was now, okay, We've seen the media come around on this. We have thousands of articles being written in the English language press over the last couple of years, mainstream. Public awareness is extremely high. We have a new administration, open, transparent government, and we've got all kinds of figures in the Obama administration and the Democratic Party linked to the UFO issue back through the Rockefeller Initiative, which is another story we can get into later. In other words, plenty of hooks, legitimate news hooks. So phase three is designed to bring the media into the ring, like a tag team match, we're going to slap a hand here, and they're going to jump in the ring, and they're going to grab the truth embargo, and they're going to flatten it. And so here's how phase three is going to go. First, dozens of organizations in the Disclosure Movement Network have been contacted, and they're going to be releasing multiple press releases hooking to all of this, and names and people and issues 
tied into this uh, in the month of June, creating a substantial Google-linked network of, uh, of uh, Google returns, particularly off the news. Secondly, dozens of writers, people that are writing in the direct journalism media, like uh, American Journal, uh, Op-Ed News, The Examiner, The Canadian, and others, uh, I think you know what I'm talking about here. It's an emerging genre, very powerful. Thousands of people are signed up and writing pretty good stuff mm-hmm. uh, about anything they want. Uh, and these and these articles are being fished up by the Google News search protocol. They're going to be put into play in the month of it, June. And, and while some, all of that is happening. I was going to say, in some cases, some of the news from those sites will actually supersede what comes from other major news outlets. Well, it's not so much it supersedes, but under the way that Google News Search operates, if, if somebody writes a, an Examiner article, say about John Podesta, mm-hmm. and his the fact that he called for the release of all UFO documents on several occasions, uh, and someone does a, a Google News Search on John Podesta, it, it'll bring up a New York Times article, and it'll bring up the Examiner article in the same search. You mm-hmm. see the implications there? Yeah. And so we're going to put all those in play. But then while all of that is going on, I have booked about 35 hours of radio so far. Uh, and uh, the, uh, we're putting the word out that now we have a new target for this petitioning process. We hit the transition headquarters. We hit the White House. And now the new target is the White House press corps. The White House press corps, those journalists, the ones you see if you turn on CNN Monday through Friday in the White House briefing room getting briefed by the uh, the uh, presidential uh, spokesperson, Robert Gibbs. Mm-hmm. They have more access to the administration than all the rest of the journalists in the world combined. And they have the right to ask any question they want. And they are represented by one organization. It's called the White House Correspondents Association. And so... This all this correspondence that I'm referring to is now going to go to the White House press corps, care of the White House Correspondence Association, the WHCA.net, which, as it happens, has a perfectly fine mailing address, fax number, and email contact page. And there's two kinds of correspondence, and this has already started, by the way. And this this this, this went into play on June the first. It's already well underway. There's two kinds of correspondence that is being is now pouring into their office. One, everybody who had already sent a letter to the president or the president-elect previously, calling for disclosure, hearings, briefing, all that stuff, have been asked to copy the press corps and send a copy and say, yeah, I sent this in January, I sent it in February, I sent it in October, November, whatever. Mm-hmm. And in addition, they and everyone else within the sound of my voice are being asked to send a letter to the press corps, saying that asking that the press corps now step up and do its job and start asking questions about the subject that are appropriate and demanding appropriate answers, and to help in that regard. When you go to the the you know facts on Washington Central, where all this is being coordinated, which is at facts f a x on Washington dot org, you will find there a carefully written selection of fifteen questions which all have very significant political or news-worthy uh, hooks to select from and say, you know, it's like a Chinese menu. Give me uh, two of those and two of these and two of those. Mm-hmm. And we want you to ask these questions. But more importantly, when you go there to factsonwashington.org, you will find there the, the links to all of the supporting documents and video and images and what photos 
to back all of these questions up, whether it's Hillary Clinton's connection to the Rockefeller Initiative or Bill Richardson's or John Podesta's call for the release of UFO documents or Edgar Mitchell's call for the administration to uh, end the truth embargo or Chris Matthews' question of Bill Richardson in the September after the September 30 debate in Philadelphia, whatever, it's all there. Videos, images, documents. Uh, uh, FOI documents from the Office of Science and Technology Policy, it's all there. All of these questions are not only legitimate, but fully supported. So any reporter that goes there can not only see, oh, here's the question needs to be asked, and here's the confirmation this question is legitimate. This is about as easy as we can make it, right? I mean, this is like, you know, disclosure, just, you know, just, you know, sending them a disclosure powder and sending just, you know, add water, boom, get disclosure. I mean, and the point is, is that if enough Americans are ready to know the truth about the extraterrestrials, and what I mean by that, to, 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 to have their government confirm once and for all that, in fact, that is the, the way it is and, and that we're not alone, if Americans are ready to learn as much as they can about DCTs as well as the technology that we have in our possession and find out what it might do for us, you know, think $2 a month heating bills, 50 cent a gallon gasoline, uh, and a whole lot of other nice things. If they're ready for that, then they need to send a letter to the White House press corps saying, we want this information, we want these questions asked, and we will not accept anything but appropriate answers. And it is my belief that the press is right there ready to go, that they're right on the edge, and all they need is a little support. In other words, these 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 faxes, emails, and letters that the White House Correspondent Association is going to get is a message from the people, okay, ladies and gentlemen, we know it's kind of, you know, we know you're, you're cautious about what you do in that briefing room. We know that you, you're worried about losing your slot there and you don't want to upset anybody, but uh, we need you to do this and we've got your back. That's phase three of the million facts on Washington. It's already getting coverage. It's already on the Internet. It's going to grow. And over the next 30 days, I have a hunch we're going to see something happen. And it may happen in the White House briefing room, uh, which you can check in on every day on C-SPAN. Okay? Mm-hmm. One, two, or three, one of them. Or it may be, it may happen over at state or at the CIA where you have political press who are covering the administration. It's not all happening in the White House press room. Um, so, whatever. Uh, when the, if these, if you start, if these questions start getting asked, um, the administration is in an impossible position. There are only three possible responses that they can do. One is to laugh it off and say, oh, this is all silly, which is going to irritate the reporters. Two, to refuse to answer, which is going to excite the reporters. And three is to give an appropriate response, which will immediately trigger a series of additional questions, which will, in short order, trigger a media firestorm, which will, in very short order, burn the truth embargo to the ground. Now, if you remember earlier during the campaign, uh, obviously there was the questioning of of Dennis Kucinich, and that was really played up in the media for a little while, Mm -hmm. but... Somebody did ask uh, Obama, President Obama, what he thought of this whole situation, and he kind of did exactly that. He laughed it off. Sure. No, but, no he didn't laugh it off. Well, um, he, he, he kind of brushed it. Yeah. He, stepped, he stepped around it. He, he knew that that question was coming. Kucinich knew that question was coming. You see, we laid a lot of groundwork that year, and 
but even that was not enough to get Tim Russert to do, to do something very important, and that's to ask that question, which he went out of his way to say was a serious question. What finally triggered it was Shirley MacLaine. Mm-hmm. Shirley MacLaine, um, I have my hunch is, I can't prove it, but my hunch is that Shirley was a little irritated that Dennis Kucinich, who was briefed on the UFO ET issue long ago, back in the 2000 and before, knows there's an ET presence, and we thought very likely he was going to to bring it into his campaign and make some history, but he didn't. He got cold feet. I think she's a little irritated with that. And so it just so happened when she published her book, Saging While Aging, in the middle of the campaign, she happened to mention that he had a pretty major sighting back in 1982 when he was staying at her house, and there were two witnesses. Well, boom. Shirley McLean's a big shot, and she went on a book tour, and she's talking about this on, on television, and I guess that kind of put it in play, uh, and then the, the, the Wall Street Journal went and interviewed those two people that were at the house along with Kucinich the day it happened, and they confirmed that sighting, a pretty significant sighting. It's one of the triangles, and wrote up a fairly serious front-page article in the, Wall, in the Wall Street Journal. So Kucinich, uh, by the time that debate took place, knew full well that he might get asked a question, and I think Obama knew this might be in play. Uh, so when, they, when but when the question was asked of Dennis, he 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 was nonplussed. Nevertheless, he handled it fairly well, but not that well, um, and ultimately confirmed that in fact he had a significant sighting. And then uh, Russert, for whatever reason, jumped over Richardson and uh, Hillary Clinton, who were much better targets for a follow-up, and tossed it to Obama, who knew it was coming. And deflected it quite easily because, in case you haven't figured it out, Barack Obama is a very smart man. Um, so uh, that's what took place there. Now, he was then asked a couple more times by some local people. And again, he deflected the question. Barack Obama, I believe at the time, knew he was on his way to become president of the United States. And the fact is, is that since he was an innocent on the issue and had no downside... It would have been absolutely strategically a mistake for him to say anything that would be inciting on the issue. Uh, and not only that, but I fully knew that if, once he became president, they were not going to say anything. They cannot say anything. If they were to hint, if they were to burp uh, about this even a little bit, it would immediately set in motion uh, a tension that would force their hand and so which is why they have not acknowledged yet one that they've received one single letter fax or email on this subject because again they can't do that what we're doing is we're putting the pressure on and we're going to turn up the heat and when they decide to act it will happen fast there won't be any three-week trial balloons ahead of time you will suddenly wake up one day and the administration will have made its move and disclosure will have taken place i'm not surprised at that uh, so I'm not shocked that they have not made any comments. Well, I'll, I, I don't know if you're a football fan, Steve, at all, if you follow the NFL. On occasion. I uh, cover the New England Patriots for my day job, and it, when they're notoriously tight-lipped when it comes to certain information coming out of the team. Mm-hmm. And the way that we handle that is one reporter has to step up and have to has to be the one to have the guts to ask the question that we know they're not going to give us an answer on. <laughs> And then once he comes forward and he asks that question, it's usually Michael Felger, thank you mm-hmm. for that. Yep. But once he does that, 
then what happens is they'll try to step around the question, but then another reporter will follow you up got it. and ask that. And that's where what we were lacking in the campaign is one reporter would throw it out there. It would become a, a little bit of buzz for a couple of minutes, but there wouldn't be those follow-ups every single time. It, well, By going after the White House press corps and getting them involved, now you have that opportunity where not only can they – ask the follow-up questions and have more than one reporter start getting on this line of questioning, but they're in a situation where they really can't sidestep the questions because it is a White House press briefing. Well, they can still sidestep it. The point is, is that, if, if, and this, this again, I'm going to make it clear, the media could have done this anytime they wanted to, mm-hmm. but they have, they have chosen to go along with the truth embargo. I mean, that's a decision that they made. Uh, in some cases, it was conscious. In some cases, it was just going along to go along. But if they make the conscious decision that, you know, they're important, you know, that, well, the, the decision is actually fairly straightforward. It would be, okay, I as a reporter think that the presence of extraterrestrials engaging the planet is a fairly big deal. Okay? Therefore, with, with uh, some national security implications. And so, that being the case, if there is anything that kind of hooks the administration or people in it to the issue, I think I'd probably ask about that. At the moment some reporters make that decision, there are ample questions they could ask of a nature that that only an appropriate response is possible. Now, let me give you an example of an any. A lot of people say, well, what do you mean an appropriate response? What are you talking about, right? Let me give an example. I mean, it's kind of extreme, but it's extreme to make the point. Let's assume that you are a political reporter and you're covering the Department of State. So you're down there at a press briefing, and and uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton is uh, giving the briefing. Okay, and so uh, you you uh, get a shot, and you raise your hand. And you say, "Okay," and you say, "Look, uh, Madam Secretary, recently the Afghanistan government announced that they were pulling some of their troops out of the northern region, uh, with you know, in, in, you know, in looking for Osama bin Laden and what have you. And, and our troops are, you know, what, what, what is your position on that?" If she were to respond, uh, you know, I really don't don't really follow the Afghanistan thing much anymore. I mean, just not like that big a deal. Uh, we're, we're, my attention is elsewhere, so what's the next question? That would be an inappropriate answer. And you know what would happen? It would trigger a firestorm of follow-up questions from reporters all in that briefing room. And I'm telling you, she wouldn't get out of there right intact. That's the way it's supposed to be, and that's the way it would be, except this issue has been under some sort of formal embargo for 62 years. So what I'm saying is is that we're right on the cusp where the media is prepared to take that step. And given that the, 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 the world is a rather volatile place now and that things are happening every day, you know, every day somebody goes bankrupt, some country invades another country. Uh, you know, you know, some, uh, an ice cap, my shelf melts, and the whatever. There's always something you know happening every day. There's a lot of potential distraction there, so we have to make it send a clear message to the media that, like, you know, we realize that there's a busy world out there, but we kind of think this ET thing's kind of important, and you ought to be asking about it. And so they're right there. So if we can focus our demands and requests on a single spot. You know, it's like a magnifying glass. 
uh, on just a regular day, you take a little magnifying glass and you can focus that the, the sun's light. You can set a fire, can't you? But you have to focus it on a point. Well, the point we're, we're, we're using a magnifying glass to focus the people's needs and demands on a spot, and that spot has been carefully selected to be the White House press corps, care of the White House Correspondents Association. And the address and all you need to know to get your correspondence off to them regarding these questions is at factsonwashington.org. Uh, Simple have, as that. We have it linked up right on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com as well. Uh, Steve, the phone lines are lighting up here, so let's uh, let's go to the phones. Let's do it. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Steve Bassett of the Paradigm Research Group. How are you doing? Hello. Hi, Steve. Hi. I respect y'all, like your earnest activism, but you know as well as I do, you're not going to be able to count on the press. You know that there's certainly, everybody knows there's certainly worth investigation of something. I mean, presidents have seen things, cops, pilots, mm-hmm. astrophysicists, astronauts, plenty of people in other countries, other governments. There have been, like, articles in the newspaper and so forth. Mm-hmm. And you know that they know, but I don't know if any administration will really divulge it because of, number one, religion, you dispel religious beliefs, and you think the zealots are acting up now. You know, uh, it's control. It's the opiate of the masses, and that and that is true. I mean, look what they did to Galileo, because he went against the geocentric theory and said that we revolve around the sun, that the, that, that everything doesn't revolve around you. They locked him up so he was blind in the, um, in the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Okay, and number two... It's like they want you to believe in the hereafter because it serves it serves the purpose. It serves governments, not just this one, the whole global economy. You know what they're hereafter? They're after profit, private ownership of technology, energy resources, resources, and so forth. You know, it would be bad for the global economy. I mean, it's in our nature to destroy ourselves. The only thing that would probably unite us to my great sorrow is a common enemy. Look at space invaders. The first thing they do is tell you to shoot at something, okay? This is is advanced exopolitical thinking you're engaging in. And what Uh, about the press? Other nations report unexplained phenomena. The press, it's like, who owns the press? Who advertises in the press? Who says all the news that's fit to print in this country? If you got it, yeah, I really respect what you're doing, but it's like, I think talk, radio, internet would be our best bet. I mean, because we are the people. We are well, everywhere. He's definitely got that aspect covered, for well, sure. Well, uh, what's happening in talk radio is is uh, a disclosure with a capital D. Information is coming out. The issues are being vetted. For real. Uh, public awareness is growing. But, of course, what we're seeking is disclosure with a capital D, and that is the, the acknowledgement of the, the ET reality by, by the government. Now, there's no question that the media has generally failed the people on this subject most of the last 62 years, no question about it. Um, and it's also the case that the Catholic Church made a effort to to block the Copernican Revolution. But as we know, that effort failed. And, of course, eventually we all figured out that the Earth, in fact, went around the sun. It was going to be impossible well, to prevent that from happening. Well, Copernicus figured that out. Galileo had to smuggle out like his writings, like the dialogue, Starry yeah. Messenger. Right. I'm telling you, it's like... This isn't like an accident. There is, you, you know, everyone knows that there's, I don't care if it's extraterrestrial, if it's terrestrial. I have a friend who's a welder, like he traveled, he worked for oil companies worldwide. He's in this little bar in like Puerto Rico, 
And the, and the natives, they laugh. They think it's so stupid that people don't know that there's something. They'd see, like, he saw it with his own eyes. They, they would be, like, um, every so often, like, lights, like vehicles just plunging into the ocean at certain spots. It's like it, it, was, it was nothing, but the people knew. Of course, you know, the people it, know. But you, you know the government lies. The government has been uh, engaging in a large deception, but that deception is going to come to an end. And when it does, uh, religion will continue just fine. In fact, religious membership will go up. Well, uh, the industries, right. the big energy people will continue to be rich. They will shift their resources into new business development, new areas of uh, opportunity that will be available under uh, the new physics that I think will come into play, and they'll be just fine. The government, of course, will have gotten back in the truth business, and that will probably help uh, establish maybe a little bit more trust on the part of the people, and that will improve its prospects. And to the extent that we can share that this, this, this new physics with the rest of the world and help it address its mounting problems, our prestige in the world will go up. You see, what's happened is that in the last 62 years, the equation has shifted. In the early days, the cost-benefit analysis clearly favored secrecy and control. We can't have this out. There's too many risks. We have an uncertain future, Cold War, nuclear weapons, nuclear missiles, yada, yada, yada. Oh, you're absolutely right. Now, 62 years later and 17 years after, 16 years after, 17 years after the Cold War has ended. Well, I hope uh, it's not to destroy ourselves. Oh. I hope that we will, like, you know, like, man up for real. But um, well, get I ready. don't think that this technology should be in private hands, for one. Yes. You know, and well, I, I think, think, I think it needs to be made available for public development, it's still going to, there's going, it's going to have it, it's like nuclear energy. Aspects of nuclear energy are available for peaceful development, but obviously there's also aspects of nuclear energy that are used for weapons, and clearly oh, that is still in the classified world. And, and Einstein, they just, they just went to their graves like sad about that. They ruled that because they thought they knew what they developed was wonderful and it was only used for like war machines and so forth. They used to have people going out sitting on the hill and watching the A-bombs go off. Come on, watch it. They had like one of those little less electricity guys and people would just go there and send the soldiers right in. Go see what it did. Just need a pair of sunglasses. That's all you need. Mm. Look, you're clearly paying attention. You're thinking about this deeply and that's what we need. More people like that. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're going to move on. Thank you very much. Have a good night. Good night. All right, we do have another call, but uh, one thing I do want to do is I want to throw out the numbers. If you'd like to call in and talk with Steve about UFO disclosure, find out more about the million facts on Washington, the numbers are 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. You can also email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Let's go to the next call. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Steve Bassett. How are you? Good. How are you, Tim? Oh, spooktacular. You have Good. a question for Steve? Uh, just a comment, actually. You said it right. You said Secrecy and control. Um, the government likes that. Well, it's, part of, it's part of government, yeah. Controlling us. And then, you know what I mean? After all this time, they're going to you know, actually say, oh, yeah, you know, we've been lying all this time and, you know, look down, look shy, you know, a little embarrassed. Not, <clears throat> they won't give up anything. They're not going to do that. They're not going to come out and say they're lying. Here's what they're going to say. Uh, I'll paraphrase. Uh, and this will this will be right off the off the get go. I mean, you'll hear this within the first five minutes, and they will say that uh, the United States government has known for some time that our planet is being engaged by uh, a number of extraterrestrial civilizations. 
And for national security reasons, we have withheld acknowledgement of that while we attempted to learn as much as we could and address the issue uh, as a matter of national security. Uh, but we believe that at this time we can now bring that information to you, which we do today. And we will answer some of your questions, but not all. Uh, a lot of this information will has to remain classified, but over the coming months, uh, we will be bringing out information about what he have learned in his last 17 years and, uh, and answer your questions. And, and that's it. You believe that? I, I know it. It's oh, going to happen. Well, I can, can actually on. picture President Obama saying it, Steve. First of all, you know, actually, President Obama, Obama won't Obama. say it. Somebody else will. Yeah, Obama, sure. you can't even, you can't even run the country, right? He's not going to even bother acknowledging anything like that. Uh, mm. it's just. Well, but Steve had a good point, though, earlier in the interview when he said, you know, now if they're going to do it, now is the time to do it because Why? he can distance himself from those previous administrations and say, look, we don't know how they did business before, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to be open and upfront. And as much as – depending on how he views this issue, this could be the gateway. This could be the door opening for him to, to – no, it, it gives it, him cachet for the rest of his term to say, hey, I am the open and honest president. Well, no, more no, than just no. cachet. I mean, it's the biggest political legacy in history. Sure. See, the interesting thing about Obama is that uh, unlike McCain or Clinton, who have known about the E.T. issue for some time, uh, Obama is really pretty much an innocent. And so for him as the president to execute this maneuver, it's all upside, no downside. No one can go to him and say, well, thanks for telling us this now, but why didn't you tell us, tell us this when you were working as a community organizer in Chicago? Or why didn't you tell us this when you were in the Senate? He, he didn't have access. He didn't know. So he can say, look, I have learned about this. I've made the decision this needs to come out, and so it will. But let me make something clear. This, and some people may not understand this, and they may they may find this odd, but this is the way it is. It's not that President Obama is now in charge, and that he is going to use his huge, enormous power as the president and reach down and force the management of the managers of this issue that operate pretty much in the lower bowels of the military intelligence complex and demand and force them to bring this out. No, disclosure is imminent and, and, and needed, and the consensus, I believe, within government is they need to get it done, though it's a difficult problem. Why? They are going to reach up to Obama and say, this needs to get done, Mr. President, and you need to do it. Why, why does this have to be done? Well, there are three reasons. One, first of all, you know, first of all can I just say this? Mm -hmm. You know, all right, if they still came, uh, you know, 1947, that was true and all this. Mm-hmm. You know what? You know what? You remember the original uh, version of War of the Worlds? What happened, right? You don't think these all these kooks would uh, go absolutely foolish? No, they wouldn't. The War of the Worlds. So, this is nothing like the War of the Worlds, especially if they know that it's been going on for this long. It's it it, it oh, makes it easier to swallow. Oh, I think. I can't. You know, I really, I, I just can't uh, fathom anything like that. Uh, any any kind of saying, okay, yeah, okay, guys, you're all right. First of all, nobody's. Can I really say this to it? I've called the show that I would I, I shouldn't have actually because you know you mean you labeled the not really I well, I know what I saw too I've got no proof of it and it was broad daylight and everything I've got no proof of it nobody does oh uh, no there's the evidence for the ET president is massive 
Now, if you're not what's looking for it, if you're not aware of what's been done, you may not know that. But well, I can assure the you the evidence is massive. Nobody's got a body. Nobody's got a ship. I mean, you mean nobody outside of government right. has a body. Exactly. Yeah, we're, we're not talking that... about the public doing this. This is the government. So the government wants to disclose. It has all the evidence it could possibly use. It has plenty of evidence to, to back up that disclosure, assuming it was needed. Uh, so that's not a problem. As far as what we have in the public domain, we don't have bodies and we don't have uh, physical spacecraft, but we have more than enough evidence to to confirm the extraterrestrial presence, which is why over half the public in, in the United States, Canada, and, and UK, when polled, will, will tell you that as far as they're concerned, the, ET, the ETs are the, 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 the reason for the UFOs. That, that's 50%. That's a, that's a lot of people. Uh, and and those percentages are actually higher amongst the higher income, higher educated individuals. So, th- in 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 many respects, this event when it takes place will be rather anticlimactic. Most people are going to go, "Hell, I knew that!" Mm-hmm. Right? Well, and now it's still a big deal. Don't get me wrong; it's a huge deal, and it's going to have a lot of impact on a lot of things. I, I mean, I'm on your side. I don't, you know, believe me, I'm on your side. I, as far as you know, believing in it, and I, I know what I what I've seen. But I just to get anything, you get a chance of getting that out of them like you do. That they'll admit anything about the Kennedy assassination. Same, you get this, just as much a chance. Now, there's no down. There's no upside to the Kennedy assassination. Now, look, if if you if you well, if that's you telling want, the truth though. That's coming forward. That's being go, truthful. What go to factsonwashington.org and send a letter. Do your part. Oh, send that one letter. We're gonna hurt you. That's, that's like you know. That's like trying to go milk a bowl. Well, you're gonna get nothing. Well, well you get something. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna leave it at that. <laughs> we'll let you go for Have tonight. Have a good night. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. When you start getting into the milking bulls talk, <laughs> so it's time to. Drink. Well, no, but look. Let me let me let me make it clear. This is this is. There's a point to be made here. Mm-hmm. Look, unless you're older than 62, you've lived your entire life under the truth embargo. You've never known a day that that. In which you weren't living within this truth embargo that was that was started to be imposed from forty seven forward, and during that time there has been just a fairly substantial amount of breaching of trust by the government on a range of issues, and so it's pretty well known that the degree of distrust and cynicism amongst the American people right now is extremely high, and this gentleman is simply reflecting that. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm not surprised. There are people that are cynical about just about every uh, action the government might elect to take. They don't. They don't really believe government can do anything. So this, this cynicism has been well earned. And my point is, is okay, fine. But if you if you're if you're in government and you actually would like the gov- the country to go well, the only way you're going to reverse this, the only way you're going to re- you're going to increase trust. Is well. Let me tell you. There's two. There's two. There's two. There's two schools of thought in Washington about how to bring trust back from the American people about their government. One is lie better. In other words, we need to lie better so that the people won't realize we're lying, and so they'll think, "Oh, wow, they're telling us the truth." Uh, and these people have kind of held sway for a while. And the other school of thought is, well, maybe we should just tell them the truth. Now, I don't believe Obama is in of, of the former. I, I believe he's not in the school of, gee, let's lie better. When he talks about open, transparent government, he's not talking about being better at lying to the people. He's talking about actually bringing out the information. So he is of that other school. Now, this is a sea change, and uh, it's not an accident. The first thing he did, the first formal acts of this president, 
was early the next day of his, after his inauguration was to sign two memorandum and a presidential directive. The mem- one memorandum was a uh, a uh, an assignment to all government agencies that they needed to start operating on a open, transparent modality and emphasize that. And the second memorandum was a uh, an indication that the the Freedom of Information Act needed to be uh, leveraged more on behalf of the people and become more effective at getting information out, not used to keep information in. In other words, reform it, improve it. And then he signed a presidential directive reversing the restrictions placed on the Presidential Records Act by George W. Bush, which made it more difficult to get at uh, the records of uh, President um, Reagan and, and um, his vice president, George H.W. Bush, uh, which opens them up for the UFO FIA request. This is a pretty definitive statement. If, if he's just trying to lie better, that is not what he would have done. So there is an attempt to reverse the cynicism. But let's face it, until they start getting the truth, gentlemen like this caller are continue to believe that there is no way the government's ever going to tell us the truth about anything. And I, I can't blame them. All right, so uh, we're just about out of time, but we, we have to get these letters out to the White House Press Corps in the month of June. They all need to get there. We need to have the big concerted effort, and I know that uh, you, you're coordinating everything, Steve. You want everybody to, to copy everything to you um, so that when they do send yeah, it out, it's helpful if they track. do that. I mean, I know some people may want to take the extra time, but if they can, note, you know, say email PRG and say, hey, I sent a letter. It helps to know this, but the important thing is to get these in. We we don't need, you know, I call it the million facts on Washington. It's it's a catchy phrase, but the fact is we need about you know, 20,000, I assure you, would get their undivided attention. Sure. Right? That's not a big number. I was on Coast to Coast the other night. It was 5 million people in the audience. We have, you know, 20,000. Mm-hmm. Right, but what do these letters got to say? They got They got to say, look, we want questions about this issue. Ask of the administration, and here's some I, I particularly like. Ask these, and those questions that they can select from, and they want to. They can add their own, but are up right at fa- up there at factsonwashington.org. And then if they send a letter to the president, they need to copy them because we want the press corps to get proof, tactile proof that this correspondence is going in. Because like the one of the, the the very first question on that list is is a simple one. It's about as simple as it gets. And that is, uh, Mr. Uh, Press Secretary, Mr. Gibbs, uh, we understand that a lot of correspondence has been coming into the president regarding uh, this idea of extraterrestrial disclosure and ET's presence and that kind of stuff. What is the administration's response to this? What could be simpler? Yep. Okay? And, and what could be simpler? What could seem less threatening to answer? <laughs> and and, and what, is, what is Mr. Gibbs going to say? Oh, we just think that's all just funny. You know, this is just a bunch of kooks. You know, we get these kooky letters from time to time. Now, I know the people that are sending these letters. I've seen examples of them. They're not kooks, and they're pretty sharp. They're coming in from all over the world. Now, he could say that, but, you know, that's going to create a problem. Or he could say, uh, we have no comment at this time about that. Or he could actually give a, an appropriate, here's what, the president thinks about these letters. This is pretty much the only three options they have. And the only way that they are able to move maneuvers past this, the only way that we we don't end up very soon in a situation where uh, we literally have a firestorm of media inquiry is if no reporters step up and ask these questions. And all I'm saying is, if they get in, if we get enough letters in, I think they will. I, we don't need them all to do that. We don't need 40 reporters. We just need a handful, three to five. That's all. Sure. That's it. That's all it takes. 
So if, the, if, if everybody listening to the show, if you, if you really would like this thing to finally be resolved, or if you want to go to your deathbed still not knowing what it is with this, this phenomena, and if you don't care about you know, what's happening around the world and you think that technology is something that just be kept deep down in the government for weapons but not available to help solve our growing crises, then don't do anything. But if you do care, you need to send a letter, and you need to do it in June, mm-hmm. right? we got to get this done. The choice is yours. The choice is now. All right, factsonwashington.org. That is the website. You can find out all the information, including where to send the letter. Steve, definitely keep us up to date with what's going on. We're going to go home, write our letters now, and we'll get them off. And we fully support this. We thank you for joining us, and, and definitely keep us up to date. Thanks, guys. All right, thanks. That is Steve Bye. Bassett of the Paradigm Research Group. And uh, besides million, uh, besides the factsonwashington.org website, you can also check out his regular website, paradigmresearchgroup.org. They're both linked up to spookysouthcoast.com. All right, we are just about out of time for this week. Uh, next week we'll be back again following the Red Sox. Whenever the post-game show is wrapped up, we'll come on the air. We'll also have Spooky TV up and running as well. Stay tuned. If you join the Twitter feed, you can find out everything that's going to be going on with the show Twitter.com slash SpookySC. That's the way to keep up to date with everything. So until next week, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow.